My name is Molly Baldwin. I'm the CEO and founder of Roca, and my relentless is being a pain in the ass for all that's good and all that's hopeful and all that's loving and all that's possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. My name is Kyle Dubay, and today is such a special episode for me. Her name is Molly Baldwin, and we're going to talk all things relentless. We're going to talk about Roca. We're going to talk about youth work. We're going to probably have some cool stories. And we're just going to, I'm just going to babble on because I love this woman so much. Uh, the Relentless podcast comes out of the work that I do at You Can Youth Services here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And the word relentless is a word that we use and we throw around a lot at my organization. And we work with vulnerable young people trying to move them out of harm's way into economic independence. And the word relentless is a word that I learned back in in 2009 as far as it pertaining to the the work that I do. I was very, very, very fortunate to go to a place called Chelsea, Massachusetts. And this was brought on by uh, a guy that I used to work with, Dave Farthing, who knew this this lady named Molly Baldwin. And he said, listen, you got to go down and check out this organization called ROCA, R-O-C-A in Chelsea, Massachusetts, they are working with some of the highest risk young people in this community doing some incredible work. So I was fortunate enough that I, I made a little trip down there, uh, which if I can add, I also tagged on a U2 concert in Boston uh, at the end of that trip, which was fantastic. <laughs> but this trip changed my life. I, I'm saying that sincerely. This trip changed my life. This trip changed the life of the organization I work for, You Can Use Services, because of all this incredible work that I saw happening, because of all these incredible people that I met, and because of this incredible word that I learned about. And this all comes from this incredible guest that I have on today, which I've been talking and talking. I'm now going to introduce you to. And Molly, I am thrilled that you are here. Ladies and gentlemen, Molly Baldwin. Thanks for being here, Molly. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for such a great introduction and right back at you. I love you. And uh, in addition to the extraordinary privilege of working with young people and our team, we we somehow keep meeting fabulous people and holding on to them forever. And so what a extraordinary gift at the start of this new year to be hanging out with you. I wish it was in person. Oh, I wish it was in person too. I've had the pleasure of going to visit you and Roca in Chelsea. Um, because you guys, we're going to talk a little bit later about how much you guys have expanded, but in Chelsea, uh, three times in my career, very, very fortunate. I went in 2009, I went in 2000, I think 11 or 12, and then I went in 2019. Now, that being said, we've also talked multiple, multiple times on the phone or zoom or whatever we do. And I, first off, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to gush over you a little bit, but I, I, I'm just so thankful for who you are in my life. I'm thankful for what you've created. Um, and it, it's so incredible and, and you're so humble, but it, it really is amazing. And we're going to get into this in a second of how this all started for you and, and for your community and communities that you work in. But it's amazing that your work that you started in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, I believe, has affected my community in such a massive way and and 
so many young people in my community in such a massive way, which I'm so thankful for. So all that being said, Molly, talk to us about Roca. Talk to us about uh, what, what happened to you in the 80s where you thought, I'm going to work with very high-risk young people, and this is what it's going to look like. Okay, well, you're asking me to remember way back, so we'll, we'll try. And I'm old, so I may get a few things fuzzy. But anyway, thank you again for the kind words. And i got to figure out how I can see you in Edmonton and meet some of these fabulous young people. we got to get to that soon. Yep. Um, so let's see, where did we start? Uh, we started in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is a tiny city in Massachusetts, about 1.8 square miles. It's a densely populated city. Sort of a census track around 35,000, but goes up to 50, 55 plus at times with immigrant and undocumented members. And in the late 80s, it had one of the highest rates of violence and teen pregnancy and poverty in the state. Um, and I was selected to kind of work with this group on sort of originally what was teen pregnancy prevention People have done a really nice plan about, you know, what to do about teen pregnancy. And, you know, you really ought to teach sex ed and you have to, you know, have birth control available. And it was a great plan, but it was really done by grownups. And in both my interview and my first day, I was like, well, that's great. But I think we have to figure out what works for the young people. Yeah. And it was pretty clear that we really actually had to focus on young people who are sort of most likely to get pregnant for different reasons. And also the young men who were getting people pregnant um, and they happen to mostly be on the street and getting in all kinds of trouble uh, early on. That was in February of 88 when I started and early on we met Luis Gardner-Casa who has since passed. He was the founder and CEO of El Puente in the South side of Williamsburg who really was sort of him and a group of small, a small group of people were really leading the emergence of youth development in the country at that time that said probably the entire civil rights movement was led by young people. Um, he was a former young Lord and worked in a hospital and realized that this neighborhood, very much like Chelsea, under a bridge, large Latino community and a historic Jewish community had a lot of things going on and these young people needed and deserved better. And that was very inspiring. And our whole journey from the beginning has been about gathering a group of us to keep working together about really our focus was on the young people who don't do so well anywhere else and need support and understanding what was really going on with them and gathering up everybody we could who could help and would pay attention and trying to learn. And so the arc of the organization, really very high-risk young men. They were at that point, the street sort of still had a code. There were structured gangs, you know, um, how people who were engaged in criminal behavior behave was with a code. Um, and it was really clear there's a whole group of young people who weren't going to school. They weren't connecting to other resources. People were afraid of them. They didn't like them. Nobody would talk about what was really going on because it was so hard. Um, and, you know, over the years we did that work. We learned lots of things. We also at some point kind of grew to a youth family and community development organization, sort of as we got later into the not, you know late 90s, early 2000. And then we began again to kind of look at the young people who were at highest risk, who weren't connecting and got very focused on very specific group of young men and young mothers um, 
And in a funny way, Kyle, and I will get to Relentless, I promise. In a funny way, we're more like we were in the beginning than the middle. Except for that we have data and understanding and we've learned about the brain and what it does and what it doesn't do and what it takes to heal and to be safe. Um, So I guess, you know, this you started on this relentless thing. I mean, pretty right from the beginning, I mean, I had the privilege of doing a lot of youth work while trying to learn to run an organization, learning being the operative word. Um, It's just really clear they were young people left out. They so, weren't connecting. So people didn't know how to talk to them. When when you started, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but when you started, this was yeah. what you're like. Like you were already doing youth work. You were you, you weren't were you from Chelsea? Wasn't from Chelsea. I had done a fair amount of youth work, and I had done um, a lot of organizing around prisoners' rights issues and yeah. criminal justice issues, and some work around women's issues, particularly in communities that were struggling and I had really powerful bossy demanding mentors (laughs) who push you to learn and made you think about what the hell you were doing a lot (laughs) so So then so then you come to Chelsea in what 87 88 so in 88 and there this group before me had put together what they call this teen pregnancy prevention coalition and it was a plan and I in theory was hired to start this plan right and in the interview and when i was hired i was like well the plan is fine but we really got to figure out how to engage with the young people who need which it was the, which so was the biggest quickly. thing was that youth engagement piece because like you said earlier this was all kind of created by adults who think they know best right and, and and as you know and as i know uh really good youth programs that are engaging young people you should probably have the input from the people it's going to affect Right. Which makes sense. And it doesn't actually make sense to a lot of people, but it makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. So this, so Roca, which by the way is, is Spanish for rock. It, Mm -hmm. the, the, the actual organization didn't exist yet. No, just this coalition. We were part of some other group. They handled our money and we kind of created Roca. Okay. And early on, we met Luis, who really was leading this youth development work. And at that point, it was not a word anybody used. It was the idea that everybody mattered. It was the idea that you needed to live based on values of loving and caring about young people. And they needed to learn those values. And we were, oh, my God, we were cult leaders, (laughs) gang leaders, what are you doing talking about these values? What is it? You're communist. You're talking about values. You know, I'm like, really? We're talking about community and compassion. Right. Um, but yeah, they're, looking, very at you like, they're no. looking at you like, because in some ways it's a whole, not my, not my backyard where you're, you're dealing with right. high risk people. And they're saying you're talking, basically what you're doing is you're putting value on these people and you're getting pushback. Yeah. Yes. How and who are you to do this? And how come these young people are talking? And, you know, I remember one of the most, we did a lot of organizing around age. We did a lot of work organizing around birth control and a, and a, a clinic in the high school. And lots of young mothers helped lead this. And it's interesting. Somehow the world, the school, the programs, they kind of tolerated having young mothers, kind of referring them as my girls. It was a thing. These are my girls. But once they started actually talking about sex, which if actually you're going to address age or you're going to address 
you know, waiting to have a baby at a different time. You kind of have to get to talking about sex. Sort of. And it made people crazy. They were like, they can't be, they, they can't talk about sex. I'm like, but you have the highest teen birth rate in the city. Right. We have an off the chart, you know, STD rate of young women, right? We have, you know, young men getting people pregnant. Like you actually, and that really, two kind of early things. One was, it was really clear that you had to be relentless to find and stay in relationship with young people who are not used to being engaged. Right. right. For whatever sets of reasons, trauma, fear, trust, all, all of the above, want nothing to do, don't don't want a thing to do with grown-ups. So early on, this relentless thing was big. And then, you know, the other is, it, if we want to help young people heal and have the skills to heal and to be safe, you have to tell the truth about what's going on. Yes. If you keep, you know, and I think those two marks of Roca have stayed through all these years. And interestingly, we, we use a lot, you know, our understanding of brain science and cognitive behavior theory, not therapy, helping young people understand what they think and feel are different than what they do. And ultimately helping them learn to make decisions based on their values in a funny way brings us back to these early discussions when we were talking about what are the core values of Roca, right? What is compassion or what is love? And what does it mean to act on those things? And and so, I mean, it, I, you know, that's kind of interesting to me that in a, in a way that we're much bigger, we're different, we're in a lot of places, those core things are absolutely the same. You know, uh, uh, and we're, we're relentless became a, a you know people just say we're a pain in the ass, right? And they're like you're being, stalking which is us, what being you keep banging on the door. That is being relentless, pain in the ass. Yeah, it's just it's a polite word. Sure, it's a polite. But word, yeah. but it's a great definition of it, and I yeah. love it because it sounds negative, but it's actually so positive. There's so many young people right. that 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 you have worked with, that I've worked with, that these two organizations uh, have worked with that. They need people in their lives that are a pain in the ass because if not, they're they're either going to jail or they're going to die. That's what this yeah. comes down to. And so I find it interesting that you're talking about those core values, and it's it's about being relentless, mm-hmm. it's about honesty, it's about compassion, it's about love, um, and how those were the initial, but how they're still so strong today. And I've often said that. Um, Sure, many things have changed in our world since I started working with young people, right. which was probably which was early '90s is when I started working with young people, early to mid '90s. Many mm-hmm. things have changed. We can look at the technology, we can look at all these different things, but youth work is youth work is youth work because it's about relationships. And yes. if you're not engaging human beings on that relational level, then the compassion and the love and the honesty and the hard conversations and all those things. They're not going to happen. So we have to be able to do this, but we can't do it, especially with this group of young people we're talking about, unless we are relentless. Tell me some stories if you're okay with it. If you, if, and again, I know you were joking earlier, but if you can remember any of them, you probably have a thousand stories um, about being relentless with young people. What are some things that you've had to do to engage me? young people? You. Oh, back God. Back Some of them are around. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what a pain in the ass. Uh, you know, two of the founding Roka Youth members are a, seven, seven, a number of them around, but two are fairly close and and, and um, I know fairly well. And they'll kind of, you have to remember that when we started, there still was a code on the street, right? 
didn't mess with women. There were rules, you know, it wasn't all about popping off and being crazy all the time. And they were, these guys were very good at dealing drugs and they carried weapons and their friend was killed. And, but sometimes they went to school, one went more than the other. Right. And, uh, they never got caught. I mean, it wasn't like they're, you know, today, most of our kids are going to be caught. They're really not very good at it. Um, and you know, we started with this project where they were going to run this parks program. And so we trained them to do it. Meanwhile, they're doing all this other stuff, right? God. Um, but it was clear they had some stuff to do to get through. And, uh, you know, I used to go knock on the door in the middle of the night, literally, and make sure they were going to school. And they, I mean, now they just, oh my God, we're like drunk. They're drugs all over. They've guns on the table. And she's like, she's at the fucking door. Right. I'm like, you go to school tomorrow. Right. <laughs> um, so there's still lots of stories about that and kind of, uh, Sydney T is, you know, I'm still not the best. Anisha, who you know very well, would, would tell you I, I still need a lot of training on CBT, which is really about an invitation to think differently and learn things differently. You know, I just ride up in people's faces like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. What is this? This can't happen like this. You know, and kind of major confrontations. I, I don't think any of it was that effective, but nonetheless, that's what we did. And, uh, you know, negotiated between gang stuff and, you know, it's all old now. Yeah, I mean, all, the, the most extraordinary now, but, thing. But it really is the foundation of Roca. It's the foundation to me of the it, word it mindless. Is. Like, but what's beautiful is that today you can witness and listen to one staff member after another chasing kids down, right. driving them crazy, right. blowing up their phone. Remember when I started, people that didn't have cell phones, we right. had beepers. I don't know what we were doing with beepers. Um you know, and we've learned a better way to kind of invite them to think differently, sure. more effective. But the same thing, you know, I mean, totally bossy, some quiet, some loud. I mean, it's just the most remarkable thing you listen to. You know, we track how many times, like if we get your name from the police, you know, in Massachusetts, about eight to 10 door knocks. In Baltimore, it's about 12 to 14. Sometimes they're looking out the window. They pretend they're their brother. Yeah. They'll set set up a meet and sit across the street, make sure we're not the feds. Yeah. Um, well, that's, and legit. So just on like, it, that's, right? that's legit concerns for them. That is. Yeah. Um, but that's a relentless part. Like the, the beautiful thing is today, so many other people are relentless, right? Like I miss doing you. I mean, it was up to me. I go do that now. Um, but um, that's the power of it, right? Because they all have figured out I got to go again or trick them at what time they're going or get to a friend. We had a beautiful little story in Baltimore. Jamal um, was showing a kid uh, his drone. And they're flying the drone and the drone's zipping around. And from the drone, Jamal saw another young person he couldn't find. <laughs> the kid he was with knew him. He calls him and he says, I can see you. He's like, where are you? He says, look up. <laughs> it was like, it was beautiful, right? Yeah. Um, but but, but what's amazing about that is you talked about in the beginning, you didn't have cell phones. And now you're, <laughs> the drones are being used to find you. It was fine. It wasn't on purpose, but right. it's a great story. Right. I said, look, you got to get a loudspeaker in there. Like send it down to the block and go everybody up. It's time for, for yeah. a CBT lesson. Yeah. The, the, the thing that's still true is there are a lot of young people who are really hurt, who off, also cause a lot of harm, 
and they are so traumatized and they are so hurt and they are so stuck in their bottom brain that they need this relentless outreach. And it's incumbent upon us to keep getting, we're not perfect. Some days we do it well, some we don't, but to keep going. And whether it's the young men or the young mothers we're working with, you know, which young mothers don't accept a home visitor? Like they're not going to sign the paper. They're not going to do the compliance steps for parenting education, which are important. So you got to keep going because they matter. And every young person will tell you at some point, you know, why did you listen to Kyle? And they'll go, because he just was so effing exhausting. I, I just gave in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, so a person will tell you that. Right. And I'm sure your young people are the same. That's that's and actually. So I'm going to tell if you're OK, I'm going to tell a little bit of story about my first experience learning about Relentless in Chelsea, Massachusetts. But before I do that, what you just talked about in regards to the young people are still hurting. They still need us. They're still been through trauma. That's my point about earlier of all those core values, even though people are using drones now. That piece can't change. Not you know what no, I mean. No, it can't change. You know what I mean, though. Like, yeah, no, I do. Everything's changed. This so is not much. about the telephone, right? It's, it's not it's about. Not. It's about you know, that relational piece. It's about showing up. It's about being there. It's about yeah. being a pain in the ass. Yeah. Because those things that young people have gone through, the trauma, the pain, the the just the poverty, all those things, is still happening today. The same way it was in 1987, 88, 89, or the early 90s when I started. It's all still happening. You and I, unfortunately, and it's very unfortunately, will never be out of a job. So who else is going to do this? So this is, let me let me tell you about the, the first time I learned about Relentless off of your crew. We show up. I'm, I'm. I, I was like a little kid. I was so excited to be there because of everything I had read, everything I, I, I had had looked into. And then I'm meeting you, and I'm meeting Anisha, and I'm meeting some of the youth workers. And this was just so cool. And we end up driving around in one of the Roca vans. You guys had these Roca vans back in the day, and and we're cruising around. I don't even. I feel bad. I don't remember the youth worker's name, but regardless, um, we drive up, and and again, Chelsea is a small place. And these youth workers knew, and you guys were only in, actually, I'm lying. You were in Chelsea, and I believe you were in Springfield as well at that time, or you had just opened up Springfield, Massachusetts. And but we're driving around, and the, the youth worker goes, oh, here's, here's a kid I've been trying to get a hold of. So we pulled beside this, this young lad. The youth worker goes, hey, how's it going, whatever the kid's name is. And I, so now we're going to swear a little bit. The kid goes, fuck you. <laughs> and, he, and he turns and he walks away. The youth worker turns to us and we're like, oh, okay, well, that, obviously that's not going to work. The youth worker turns and goes, yes. He goes, that's the second time in a row he's talked to me. And he was just so happy that the kid told him to fuck off, but he talked to him. And so he started explaining to us that's a good sign because now I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back till the kid is finally going to go, Hey, can you give me a ride somewhere? Because now you get him in the, you start talking, you start building. And he said, if as long, even if the kids tell him saying, fuck you, he's still talking to us. And that's a huge step. It honestly, me, myself, some of the, 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 the uh, two staff there with me at the, it blew our minds and we just went, Oh, that's what relentless is. You don't stop. You now safety comes into play, 
in some of these. You, you, right. I don't think you ever took that into consideration. <laughs> When you're early, not early enough. We do now. now. I never did. No, you I never did. Too dumb. It's probably better. But that really to better. me is, I've explained relentless to so many people because of that story of you mm-hmm. just keep showing up, and you need to be happy when the kid tells you off because at least they're talking to you. And there's going to come a time, like you've said, there's going to be a breaking point for most of them, not all of them, but for most of them, where they're going to go, "Oh, this person is so annoying. What do you want?" Or they're going to think. Can you give me a ride? And now they think they're manipulating you to give a ride. And now they're, but that's how we start it. And then amazing things can come out of that. No, it's totally what it's about. I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, the whole, if you think about it, a friend once who framed this in an event, he said, I don't really understand this business model. They're going to find people who've committed all these crimes, caused all these harms, hate you, by the way, tell you to fuck off like every day. And if they're nice to you in the beginning, forget it. We're not working with you so that you can choose them to work with. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of model is that? <laughs> that's what it is. It's a sort of counterintuitive, you know, but that's who needs this work. And that's not to say the other things aren't good. Absolutely. And that's not to say that somebody doesn't need to run the job training program or the GED sure. program or the home visiting program. We need those. Sure. But for this group that's not doing well, we have to do something else. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was looking at you guys before I came up. I'm like, dude, there must be money in dirt because you guys look nice. Hey, folks, do you like to laugh? Who doesn't like to laugh? The You Can Comedy Nights are a ton of fun. And do they ever make you laugh? Listen, our next You Can Comedy Nights happen in March 2023. If you want all the details on how you can support our incredible organization, You Can Use Services, go to our website for more details. That is at youcancomedy.ca and you can find out all about our shows, our comedians, who's coming in, and all the ways that you can come out and support us. We look forward to having you there and uh, why don't you come and have some laughs supporting the serious work that we do at You Can Use Services. And now, back to the show. Roca started in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Um, and we could, uh, Molly, let's be honest, uh, because of time we can't, but you and I could probably spend three days just talking about <laughs> all this and talking about the evolution of Roca, mm-hmm. which I, but, but, but again, when I say that, I do love the fact that all those core values are still there. Even within an evolution. Um, You guys ended up going from Chelsea. You got your building, uh, which is such a unique, I love that building in Chelsea. Uh, And then you, was it other communities that started coming to you? Because again, you are so data-driven, right? You guys do so much research and data-driven. Was it other communities that started coming to you that said, listen, we need your help? Yeah, so we so we were in Chelsea. We did a little stint, and we did a little ten year stint in a storefront in Revere, which you might remember. Yeah. And then we tried to move the land because the community, the Cambodian community, had gone there, and we didn't really know what we were doing, so we ended that. And then we were really kind of, you know, doing our work, starting to get at the data, really trying to get structured around the theory of change. What do we have to learn for this particular group? Sort of stripped out all the generic youth development, the leadership stuff, the community development, it got focused on this group of young people. And we did some work with the sheriff's department in Springfield and he really encouraged us to come. And so we went to Springfield. And so today in Massachusetts, we have five sites and eight programs. 
where Chelsea, Springfield, Holyoke, Lynn, and Boston are, and there are men's programs in each of those. We have a mother's program located out of Western Mass and Springfield, a mother's program in Chelsea Lynn together, and then we're expanding our mother's program, actually nine, into Boston proper now. And then we do have a sort of a Central American intervention project in, in the Chelsea area, just because it's a place where people come when they come over the border. And then in um, we went to Baltimore about four and a half years ago, sort of after a process of expanding and learning and deciding we wanted to go another place and sort of have an opportunity to look at three places and ended up there. It happens to be where I grew up. <laughs> that's not why we went, but it helped. Yeah. Um, and that's an extraordinary team. And uh, interestingly, we have a big building on Park Avenue, not Park Street like Chelsea. It's a brick building. It was a car dealership. Um, they're all young men. The level of violence in Baltimore, you know, there's more violence in Baltimore City than the entire state of Massachusetts. An average of a murder a day, two to three non-fatals and sometimes 10 or 20. So the reality of the work is it's just very raw. And then we just about a year and a quarter ago, we went to Hartford to start a young mothers program. We're seeing just just a huge, you know, engagement in violence, non-fatal shootings involved in federal, you know, federal cases, people in boosting rings. So really kind of, okay, who are these young people and how do we really demonstrate a model? It's about 1,500 young people we work with directly every year. And then um, we kind of endlessly were pushed to what's your grown-up plan. I'm like, oh, my God, I can get, hardly get through the day. I mean, I don't know. Do we have to be grown-up? And after a lot of back and forth, we thought we really want to figure out how to coach other people on our core strategies for this highest risk. You know, we're not going to teach people how to run GED programs. Right. We're not going to teach people to use leadership, Right. But what we can do is talk about outreach. Yeah. What we can do is talk about our cognitive behavior theory. It's really a frontline staff-driven emotional regulation, which is key. And this is what these young people need. And it takes about two years for them to change their brain and two years to learn it. And we're hoping to teach them to learn and practice, to learn to take an 8 to 12 second pause between what they think and feel and what they do. And now, you know, we teach them and they hate it and F you and I'm not doing this stupid thing with these bubble sheets and like, I'm not, I'm not doing a dumb bubble sheet. And then all of a sudden they need it one day and then they kindly call us. And we've had kids say, you know what, this shit works, yeah. you know, and choose not to beat up a girlfriend or walk out on a job or kill somebody. And that's kind of, again, to the beginning, how do we help young people develop the skills they need to learn to take an eight to 12 second pause between what they think and feel and what they're doing so they can in fact have agency and not be reactive. Um, and so the Roca Impact Institute has kind of got three strands at the moment. One is working with some nonprofits who work at the center of urban violence. We're trying to find ways to really focus on those things. You know, what is outreach really like? How do you do CBT on the street? You know, what are your safety things need to be, right? Um, and then we ended up sort of backwards in a way, but we're Maryland, uh, we started working with the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services for Justice first in Baltimore City. And then they got some funding to have us train 300 of their case managers in Roca's, you know, rewire CBT and to teach them how to do it and to, 
change the conditions in which they expect young people. Now they want us to train more. So we're working. So the second strand is kind of juvenile justice, probation, maybe specialty units. We've got work going on in, you know, D.C. and Maryland and Ohio and California. Um, and then we ended up during the pandemic, we tried all kinds of crazy things. We threw some cops into the CBT training. And it, they really, their training is different. And so we've created something called Rewire 4, which is based on the regular Rewire, but it's just four of the seven skills. And we've created an eight-hour-in-the-room training for cops with a six-month texting follow-up. And that's just, we just piloted with about 480 cops, and we're now into an implementation phase. Um, in Baltimore, again, the Department of Justice approved Rewire 4 uh, under the consent decree. So we're training Baltimore cops to train the entire department. And we're working with uh, Chelsea and Lynn, Massachusetts uh, police. And hopefully we're going to do a lot of work with uh, Boston police and looking at corrections units as well. Just sort of simple. Here's what the brain does. Let's understand what trauma does. What is a think, feel, do cycle? That, that things happen to us. It causes us to think things or feel things and then do things and how those things are connected and give them the skills to take a pause. So that's kind of what so, we're doing. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not much, Molly. You know, you don't seem very busy. <laughs> so so let's, oh, no. let's talk cops for a bit. Um, you and I have a, a mutual friend uh, who is an amazing guy, uh, Chief Dale McKee yes. of the Edmonton Police Service. Um, who right on? Yeah, he's just awesome, and and I know that you know him well, and I know I know him pretty. I feel cool that I've got the chief's uh, cell phone that I can like call him, and he might pick up. He might. Well, you were cool anyway, well, just so you know. Thank you. Um, again, that's because you don't live here. You you don't you don't see how uncool I am, but but I know <laughs> that that um, working with the police is very important to us as an agency, and I and I actually wonder yeah. sometimes if it's because I always wanted to be a cop. And I got a lot of respect for cops, uh, but I'm colorblind, and so I couldn't get in back in the day. Um, but I, but I really do believe that working closely with the police is actually a very important thing when working with these high risk young people. Um, we work very close with Edmonton Police Services, and, and we're very proud of that. Yeah, you uh, work very closely with police departments. I mean, heck, you're training all these cops. You're doing all this type of stuff. But you guys, when you first started out in Chelsea, there was definitely some hiccups along the way. There was a there was a lack of I've, I've heard many yeah. many stories, but there was this lack of trust and yeah. and maybe talk just a little bit about that and now what that relationship is like now. I would I would just a few things for context and even more today. Many of the young people at the center of urban violence, who are most in harm's way and causing harm, interact with cops a lot. Cops are proximate to them. Yeah. Um, they know who they are. You know, they know who's in trouble, who's causing trouble. So that's important to say. Secondly, you know, I think the nature of violence has really changed. I, at least in this country, there are still some structured gangs, but that's not what's predominant on the street. I think there are way too many guns. People have guns. I think people are highly traumatized. I think they're hurt. They get pissed off and then they shoot people. Boom. Like it's a thing. Like it's a, okay. As opposed to a time where there weren't as many guns um, and violence was more structured for the most part, not all the time. I think that social media has caused 
it, to me, social media is kind of like putting an accelerant on a, you know, your grill fire, yeah. for God's sake. You know, if you think about it, if you threaten to kill me, threaten to kill me, maybe you're going to do it, maybe you're not, maybe you got boys, maybe I got boys, whatever. If you think about, if you, if you believe that most young people at the center of urban violence are highly traumatized, they're not safe, they're suffering from PTSD, they're stuck in their bottom reactive brains, they live a life of hypervigilance. They're constantly scanning for safety. Am I safe? Is it okay? Who's going to hurt me? Who do I have to take out? Real or perceived? Because they're in this bottom brain. They're not in the thinking part. You know, you look at me, I have to take you out, that kind of thing. If you threaten to kill me on social media, a couple of things are happening here. First of all, you're expanding criminal networks very fast. Very fast. The platform itself is designed to pump that threat back out again, even well, even if you don't do it. So my boy over here is going after your boy. I even know where you are because I can see it on the social media. And, and it's made it very mobile and very instantaneous. And I think it's an enormous, tragic, dangerous problem we have. And if I'm struggling and I'm in my state of hypervigilance all the time anyway, all that social media does is keep it there. I'm never resting. Chaos. And so you can't, if we have the privilege to know and walk with young people to, at the center of urban violence and sort of say, hey, there's another way. And, it may, and maybe we've learned some stuff we could share with you that you could then use. You know, first of all, it's a huge responsibility. It's a sacred responsibility and it's a privilege. But we don't have these little domes that we can put on top of everybody to keep them alive. We can't just go take them all out of the neighborhood either. They didn't work either. And so the policing becomes really even more important, e even if they don't like us. I mean, you know, we we have to figure it out because we're not cops. And we youth workers should not be cops. Right. You know, mediating beefs, if you will, when there's structure and gangs and literally shot callers is one thing dangerous as it is i mean it's really dangerous doing it when there's no structure there's no leader people are reacting the response is more dangerous than you can imagine and in fact if you think about it kyle it's almost absurd here we are we have more guns than we have people in the united states we have some places where violence is sort of ratcheting up like crazy and people are getting shot and we have a system that mostly sends people out in the street without support without getting paid well without supervision, without safety plans, and said, oh, go, go fix it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say people's intentions are bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that. So, you know, we've tried, we've done a lot. We're trying to give people more money, give them support, give them supervision, give them counseling, keeping a safety thing going, right? You cannot do it without the police. And, um, you know, funny, in the beginning, we had one particular captain who we really dealt with a lot of good, we did some pretty amazing things that we now have more structure to. And then somewhere a little bit in Revere, we had a captain. If you get, we'd find a few, but we just kind of ended up fighting with everybody. And they assumed we were gang leaders because we were hanging out with gang members. And we were, you know, I'm not quite a child of the 60s. I was too much of a baby, but my mentors, you know, and the system and fight the system and the us and them. And you know, through a mutual friend of ours, Barry Stewart, you know, we started to learn about these peacemaking circles yep. and these values. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, if, 
if we want young people to belong, everybody has to belong, even the people we don't like, even the system. And it began to, again, shift my thinking first and then the organization. And how are we going to engage in these systems? Because they're in the middle of people's lives. Um, and then we, you know, we had to go beg forgiveness. We had to wait some people out. We still have some places that are not too fond of us, but that's okay. If you think about Baltimore, we went to Baltimore four and a half years ago. You know, there, Freddie Gray was killed. You know, there were riots in the city. You know, then there, the Department of Justice stepped in and created a consent decree. Then the gun task force was you know, robbing people and dealing drugs and they got arrested. I mean, you know, this is what we walked into. Yeah. Our first and best partner, the police department in Baltimore. Because we can't do this. We can't, you know, we have to know what dynamics are they seeing. We don't need to be investigators. They don't need to tell us investigation stuff, but they refer the young people to us. They've learned about which is a, who is an appropriate local referral versus a kid who needs to go to the job training program. You know, they'll call us and go, hey, is that your staff member over there? Because we can see through our cameras that so-and-so's on the street with a gun. Get them out of there. Right. They have referred a few young people who are wanted, and so we have to work with them to get to them. Like, you can't just send someone in their little roca jacket and their purple shirt to knock on a door if they're a target. That's not Okay. That's not an okay thing to do as an organization. And so you need that integration and, and it takes work, you know, and people change jobs every minute, leadership changes, you got to stay in it. But it's like, this is who is proximate to young people. And they're hurt and angry too, Yeah. you know, and yeah. now, and understandably so, there've been a lot of critical incidents in this country. People are bullshit at them. Everybody's mad at them. So you got mad police, you need to keep people safe. But, you know, good cops know who the kids are. Yep. They're there for the same reason, you know. And we're not here to say so-and-so's dealing drugs or, you know, we, we, that's not our job. Yeah. But we got to find the young people who are in harm's way and causing harm. we got to help bring safety. If there's an incident, we need to respond afterwards to bring more safety, to get that young person support, you know. Again, you know, there was a day we would have gone out in the middle of the night and maybe there was an error and a structure on the street where that was okay. But I don't think we belong out there in the middle of the night when everyone's jacked up and high and crying. It's just not. It's just changed so much. It's just changed so much, right? And, and I mean, there are massive yeah. differences between Canada and America, as you know. Um, a lot of the things you're talking about right now, I would like to say are not relevant here, but actually they are. They're becoming more prevalent too. Um, not at the at the... Uh, magnitude of, of many most places in the states, especially a place like Baltimore. Um, but I, I know that this relationship with the police is everything that you're saying it needs to be because at the end of the day, truthfully, um, good cops, and I think that there's more good cops than bad cops, uh, they want the same for these young people that we do. They just want them to be yes, okay. They want them to, to live their lives. They want them to be contributing members of our society. And they want to maybe not have to go to their house and arrest them or deal with them and, and all those types of things. And so I know that our relationship with the police out here is, is what you're talking about. Like we, we, 
we work with uh, the police here. They have what they call the Y5O list, which is the top 50 most vulnerable young people uh, with their mm-hmm. data. And we work with, uh, my youth workers work with 40 of them. And a lot of them are yep. out of jail. I mean, it's all, it's all the same type of stuff that you folks deal with. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you that it's just such valuable work. And I know that, you know, we, we are with the police often. Um, we depend on them. They depend on us. And that relationship is crucial. It really is. And, you know, it's interesting, too. You brought in uh, Barry Stewart and the circle process, peacemaking circles. And we've been doing those as well. And then when I went out to Roca in 09, I loved how you guys were doing them. And we really changed the way that we do. We were already doing them through Barry Stewart and, and Kay Pranis and, and these folks that we're all linked up with. Um, but we really brought those in to You Can Use Services in a different way. And what I love about the peacemaking circles and the entire circle process, and for those of you that don't know about it, uh, check into it. And we won't go into it hardcore today, but for me, what it does is it's, just, it's an opportunity where you sit in a circle, you have a talking piece, and you talk when you have the talking piece. And if you don't, you listen. But what I believe this process does, for this is my opinion anyways, more than anything else, is it, it humanizes people. And we've done many of them with, with our youth and with police, and it's always mind-boggling to me how both uh, the young people and the cops really start to humanize one another. And they start to build relationships without even realizing they're building relationships. And it's such a powerful tool. And I know that you guys, you know, like us, it's kind of, we go through phases where we use it a lot, then we step back a little bit, then we use it a lot and we step back a little bit, but it really is a powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, such a privilege to learn from the Tagus Klingit nation and the people they work with and, you know, what does it do? It lets people be heard. It lets people be seen. It lets people listen. You know, I thought it was, you know, people, <laughs> I thought it was the most behavioral thing I'd ever been through in my whole life, the first circle. I'm like, woo, that's behavior mod. I know everybody thinks all these funny things. Um, but what a gift to have had that shared. And we try to share it in a good way in honor of those who taught us. And, um helps people sometimes settle down some of the hardest, most frightening things. And, uh, you know, what do you do? You just get up every day and try to do something good and try to do more good than bad and try to do things in a good way. Molly Baldwin, I love you. (laughs) I I love you, Kyle. (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad to be talking to you. You, um, I'm going to ask you one more question and then, and then we're going to, we're going to, well, I'm going to ask you a bunch more questions because we've got this little thing we're going to do. There. Our, our, our relentless scientific questionnaire is coming up. Very exciting. Very exciting. Okay. We've done a lot. You're going to have to send me a copy afterwards, it's, I think. It's unbelievable. We've done a lot of research on this. We paid a lot of money for it. But we'll get to that in a second. Let me ask you this <laughs> this question. Um, and and I, I hope that you don't mind me asking. Well, you won't mind me asking this. Molly, Why? Why, why, why do you do what you do? Why did you start this organization? Why do you continue growing this organization? Why, why does this mean so much to you? Probably no different than it does to you. Uh, You know, I think at this point I would feel like I got called to it. Although I don't think I understood. You know, I started working with young people when I was a teenager. 
Um, and I certainly went to good schools and got some education and probably could have chosen a lot of paths, but I don't remember the choice point. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I just, these young people who were so left out, so hit something in my soul. And I look at what's going on in the world and there's a lot of beautiful things and there are a lot of great things and there's a lot of painful things and a lot of things that are just not okay. And I feel so blessed to know young people, to work with our team, to work with people like you and others and to know other people are trying to do something that moves justice forward. Can't figure out what else I'd do. So, I, I you know, it's not a very brilliant answer. Oh, just sort of... <laughs> Get up in the morning, and this is what it's it is. A brilliant answer, and it's, you know, many of our conversations that we've had. I think of Anisha and I, um, and Anisha works for Roca, who's yeah. just this incredible, incredible, incredible human being, and we've we've talked so many times about these young people and how really society, in a lot of ways, has deemed them the throwaways, or unlovable, um, not worthy. And that's to me why, why we do it. I mean, because they are, they're, they're so lovable and they're so worthy and they are just not people to be thrown out. Like they are just amazing. And if given the opportunity, the potential that they have is incredible. This is what Roca does for people. I believe that this is what you can use services tries to do for people and you know, Molly, we're gonna we're gonna do the scientific quiz now. Um, okay. So I need you to be prepared. <laughs> I need you. Yeah, you were. I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying. I hope I'm. I hope I'm up for the test. You're super nervous, and I can't blame you because this is this is big. Okay. So here goes. You ready? They're very okay. simple questions. Molly Baldwin. <clears throat> Fruits or vegetables? Vegetables. Okay. City or countryside? City. A dirty bathroom or a dirty kitchen? Mm, tricky. I don't know. <laughs> what would I prefer? <laughs> Oh, I probably, if I had to choose, I'd live in the dirty bathroom over the dirty kitchen, but ooh, okay. that's a rough one. I love that that one took you so long. Um, <laughs> salty or sweet? Salty. Okay. Morning or night? Morning. Favorite comedy movie? I still love nine to five. <laughs> it's a great movie. I think it's a, <laughs> it's a great movie. Absolute classic. I love that answer. It is. I can't. I just. I can watch it. Like you know. And I'm not a person to watch movies over again. I get too bored. But yeah. I just think it's great. Great movie. And I'm not supposed to comment on these. So, but I had to comment on that one. It's a great movie. Um, yeah. Okay. A big party or a small gathering? Small gathering. Okay. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? No phone in the bathroom. <laughs> That's very definitive. <laughs> it gets weird. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> and in the event I get stuck on emergency, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> That's a great question, though. Okay. Uh, favorite love song of all time? I guess in honor of Ray, there's a Creedence Clearwater thing about the light in the window. It was something he just loved. So. I love that. I'm going to look that up. Uh, two more questions. La second last one. Cake or pie? Yeah. I'm kind of a neither girl. That's a hard one. Okay. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Awesome. Love you, Kyle. <laughs> Molly, uh, this has been nothing but awesome for me. Uh, when I called you uh, prior to Christmas, um, uh, and this is where the full disclosure comes in for Relentless, is I I, uh, I was so excited to talk to you and say I'm I'm doing this uh, podcast, and I I don't know if you remember, but I, I said like, do you know what it's called? And you said probably Relentless <laughs> because I've I've I say I've stolen the word relentless from and from Roka. But really in 2009, when I left there, because you have relentless youth workers and I call my youth workers, relentless youth workers. And, and I said, listen, I might take this. And you said, I don't care, Kyle, that's completely fine. And we've been using the word <laughs> relentless over and over and over. And it's a huge part of my life, my personal life. It's a huge part of my, my professional life. And I'm so thankful Molly, because really it's all because of you. And I want to thank you for being um, relentless in in your career, in, uh, relentless in your uh, vision, relentless in your um, – you just won't give up on these young people. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters to you. Even though you and I don't do direct youth work anymore, I know that, like you, I miss it badly. But I just want to thank you for the impact that you've had in this world. This has been thousands and thousands and thousands of, of lives that you've directly impacted. And then the ripple effect on that is massive. Um, well, it's a big group activity. Huge. Couldn't do it without all of us and you too. So I'm so grateful to know you. I feel so lucky. Thank you. Your team is amazing as well. Molly, um, I don't think you're big on the social media. Uh, but no, but we do, we have a whole team now. Yeah, we got to Whatever. Yeah, but I'm talking about you. But I, you have a whole team it. at Roca. So I think what we'll do is let's send people to your website, which, if I'm not mistaken, is rocainc.org. Is that www.rocainc.org? Right? And we also we've got a whole social media thing going on. Um, and for, I, for we're not quite good up to you on social media, but you know we're on our way. I would like to say <laughs> that that's me, but it's not me. There's an entire group of people that does that for me too because I'm terrible at it. But you can find us on our socials at you can Edmonton uh, on on all the different socials, and of course at our website www.youcan.ca. That's y o u c a n c a. And uh, again, an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Molly, and I love you. And I'm excited to see you again sooner than later because we will meet up. Um, say hi to the, your crew out there that still know me or still remember me. And uh, I will. We're going to talk very soon. Thank you. All right. Love you. My love to your family. Okay, Take care. Too. Love you.